good to see everyone this morning. It's good for us all to be here. Appreciate all your attendance. Uh, we've had studies over the last, well, several months about different, of course, different subjects. We just finished a couple of lessons on the armor of God, or a couple of Sundays on the armor of God. And we've talked about being holy and uh, not being worldly and everything almost. This is another in that line. I would like, if you would, to turn to Second Kings chapter 3. Second Kings chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. Second Kings 3, 1 through 7. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep uh, breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as you are, my horses are your, as your horses. So just some things to think about about King Jehoram, and we won't spend a lot of time on him, actually. Just introductory. He didn't worship Baal. He went to war to protect his nation. He allied himself with the king of Judah to fight against a common enemy. He may very well have been a good king for his nation. He put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Maybe good for his nation. But God called him evil. He didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam. No matter how efficient a government he might have had, no matter how honest he or his officials might have been, no matter how much he cared for his nation and its people, God called him evil, but not as evil as his father had been. No matter how well-intentioned he may have been, no, he was a failure because he didn't serve the Lord. That's all it amounts to. That's all that matters, really. He failed because he didn't serve the Lord. He was better than most of the kings of Israel, but he didn't serve God. And as a result of that, that's failure. That is total failure. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. When at Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3, let's read verses 13 through 17. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I've mentioned some of this before on a quick Monday, uh, Wednesday night invitation. thought I'd go into it a little bit more this morning. Here's Jesus going to be baptized by John, and he is, and then this voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What I need to do is be well-pleasing to God. What I need to do is figure out what I should do to be that way. In Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, in the first five verses, <clears throat> Matthew 17, the first five verses. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So here's Peter. Let's make three tabernacles. Let's, one for you and Elijah and Moses. And let's, they get the message then. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When I look in John chapter 8, in verse 29, in John 8, verse 29, it says, and he, and, he sent, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I, for I always do those things that please him. Jesus says, I always do those things that please him. That's what I had to figure out. That's my aim, if you will, ambition. I need to figure out to, how to do those things that please him. In John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. John 12, verses 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Therefore, he says, therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. I remember Harold Tabor used to preach here in Columbus uh, quite a long time ago, actually. I don't remember exactly when it was. He's passed away now. But I remember people would ask him a question. And before he spoke, it was like, 
head down for just a second and he thought and then he said something. He's trying to figure out the best thing to say, the right thing to say, almost every occasion that I can think of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Paul writing says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You do what Christ did in my life. That's what he wants of me. Look in 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 16. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For, as Christ Je for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Paul saying it again. Therefore I, ur I urge you to imitate me. Again, for reemphasizing, he's, he's imitating Jesus in the way that he lives. So how is it? How can I imitate Paul and by extension then Christ? How can I do that? So by saying only those things that would be pleasing to him? What do you think? By doing those things that would be pleasing to him? Only those things that would be pleasing to him? I think that would be successful and God then would say, I'm pleased with you. Like he said of his son. So we want to just, that was a long introduction, I understand. But we want to talk about walking worthy of the Lord. I want us to look at Colossians 1 as our text. Colossians 1, I want to read the first, or, or, or verses 9 through 14. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the, into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's just, in looking at those verses, just pulling some things out of them, He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will. We have here a book, and each one of us read out of it. Uh, we did earlier this morning. And we've done so again. There are stories in here of people's lives. Those who were good, those who were not so good. Those who were good for a while and turned bad. Those who were bad turned good. There are all kinds of stories in here. And the consequences in many instances of, what, of how they live their lives. We have the teachings of Jesus given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the teachings of his apostles that whom he chose to do his work after he's gone. And he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. I have to learn more. I have to engage in the activity of reading his, his book. This is one of my favorite subjects. I, get, I say it a lot because it's important for us to know what God wants us to know. 
He's given us this book for a purpose. So that we might be fruitful in every good work. It's just understood that we're going to do some things. He said you be fruitful in every good work. There again, increasing in the knowledge of God. In that activity of of reading and studying and reading and rereading and studying and, and to get the information so that we can use the information to help those who don't know. Look at the rewards from those verses. Partakers of the inheritance of the saints. We're in that family, God's family, and there's an inheritance to be gained by living right. To be, he's delivered, look at the, the, the wonderful blessing, delivered from the power of darkness. That Satan has no hold on us. We, we're delivered from that. He's conveyed us in the, into the kingdom of the son of his love. He's our king. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what, what, what blessings? We have an inheritance. We've been delivered from darkness. Put into a kingdom of the son of his love. And we have the forgiveness of sins. That all the sins that I have ever done till now can be, are forgiven. If I'm walking worthy of him. Forgiven. Done. You know what it also says in those verses? That to be fully pleasing to him. I remember what is said of David when Samuel told Saul that God's taken the kingdom away from you. And he's given it to one who's better than you, whose uh, heart will follow the Lord, who fully follows the Lord. So I need to walk worthy. I need to please God. And he wouldn't have told us we could do that if, we, if it weren't possible. Now, we'll make mistakes, I understand. But we can walk worthy of the Lord. What we've got to do is to love God with a pure heart and to walk according to His will, to do what He said to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. Wherever we are, whatever we do, it's our aim to be pleasing to God. It's interesting, the aim, if you hunt, you take good aim. Hopefully you don't move it and you hit your target and you kill the deer or whatever it is you're hunting. That aim is, that's the goal. It's our ambition. It's our ambition is actually what that word means. Wherever we are, present or absent, to be pleasing to him. In 2 Timothy 2, 4, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Here's a soldier with the, uh, among the, the army, 
and he's not really concerned about what's happening back at home because there's a potential fight ahead of you. And so he's got to be entangled in the affairs of the army and doing what he's supposed to do so he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Then we're all in a fight. And who enlisted us? Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, to be pleasing to him. In 2 Corinthians 5.9, do all to the glory of God. If we do that, we can, we can get that in our minds, that we can do that, and we can be very successful. But here's, here's what I face. I expect I'm not alone in this audience. My conflict daily is do I please myself or do I please God? Do I do what I want to do under these circumstances or do I do what God do, do, uh, says do? That's what we face every day. You and me, we're no different. We have the same challenges in our lives. And so how I answer this question, how I live this question, do, do I please myself or please God, will determine whether God says I'm pleasing with you or I'm walking worthy of the Lord. Romans 8.8 8 says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are worldly, who have that mindset, cannot please God. It doesn't say, well, you can't. Somehow, you can. No, it said you cannot. We cannot. If, if our mind is on this whole world and all that it offers, we won't make it. But in Romans 8, 1, right before Romans 8, 8, it says, Therefore, if there is therefore now no condemnation to are those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's where the blessing is. That's where that reward is, in Christ. So there would be no condemnation there. Because we don't walk according to the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit, in which there's no condemnation. So because those who are in the flesh cannot please Him, so we don't walk according to the flesh. So still, there's that thing we face every day. Do I please myself or do I please God? And when I walk out the door, I have to make that decision at every instance, all the time, every day. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I don't look to please myself. I look to please God. The will I must do of the Father who sent me. Hardest thing we have to do is to put my will aside. Mark and I, Evan, were talking about this earlier. To put my will aside so I can do his will. It's called self-denial. Self-denial. And scripture talks about that. And so I would like for us to look at Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. 
When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So I want us to look at basically verse 35. For whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. First of all, there's, there must be the desire. We all have to have that desire to take up the cross and follow him. We have to have the want to. And then he says, the desire to come after me. And he closes it by saying, follow me. And says the same thing twice. But we have to do what the Lord says do. Deny himself. Take up his cross. Let his will take my place. That I'll do what he says do. And then take up his cross and follow me. So what happened? If you've been at the Pines, any you know what, we're, what I'm about to say. What happens with this taking up the, cro the cross? What happens during that time? Ask that question. At one of the classes at the Pines, and the young man answered, and boy, he hit it right. He, he dead, he nailed it. I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't have any idea. Anyway, in Romans chapter 6, if you would turn, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. 3 through 6, rather. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. Where it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. So let's just look at Romans 6, 3 through 6. Just uh, three or four things. There's a putting to death of the old man. Putting to death. And then raised to walk in newness of life. One dies, another life is born. The old man was crucified with him, with Christ. That the body of sin might be done away. Newness of life. Body of sin is done away. Put to death the old man. The old man is crucified with him. And so, we are no longer slaves of sin. Look at Galatians 2.20. Well, here it is on the, on, the project, on the screen. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, 3. Put to death the old man. The old man's crucified with him. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's that newness of life. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That all this, that the body of sin might be done away, and that I would no longer be a slave to sin, I died with him. So if we're going to take up that cross, we've got to die. We have to die to the things of the world. My will is put put away to be subject to God's will. And that's the way I'm supposed to do it. That's the way we've got to do it for him to look at us and say, you're walking worthy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. To be disqualified means I'm not approved. I have not stood the test. Didn't make it. But he says, I discipline my body. I think one of the uh, translations says, I buffet my body. But I discipline to, to subject oneself to self-denial or to severe and rigid discipline that all corrupt passions may be re removed. I discipline my body to remove the passions and the corruption that if I'm walking by the world, that's what I'll be filled with. He said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I lead to subjection means to lead away into slavery, claim as one slave, to make a slave or to treat as a slave. For example, with severity, subject to stern and rigid discipline. Discipline so that I can be disciplined. Discipline my body so that I will remove all the corrupt passions and I will be a slave of somebody else other than the things of the world. I'll be slave to Christ. And I'll do his, thing, his will and receive the reward. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we have to abide in his will, in his word. That's increasing in the knowledge of his will and learning more so that I can know how to live and I can help others know how to live as well. I appreciate your time. If you would, take your books and let's open to number 283. If you need to respond to the call of the gospel at this time, whether something amiss in your life or you need the prayers of the saints, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?